Join us in the reading of God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning on the first day. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Please stand for the lesson of the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, but without anything made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks to be God. Again, welcome. We're so glad you're here with us. Uh, let's, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open your word to us this morning and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be glorifying to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So thank you, Hazel. Thank you, Ellie, for those beautiful readings. Thank you to everybody else who has contributed to the service this morning. One of the things I love about this church is the way that everybody in the congregation is invited to participate, to be a part of leading the service. Uh, and then Daniel asked me to give a sermon, <laughs> which feels, feels a little bit different. That's a, a little bit more of an undertaking. I've never given one before, uh, so bear with me, and let's, let's open up God's Word and see if, if together we can reflect on it and, and 
take away a deeper understanding of it than we had when we, when we came here this morning. Let's read again together the first five verses of the Gospel of John, which I think, to me, are some of the most powerful and mysterious verses in, in all the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Kids, listen up. I have a question for you. Have you ever heard the saying... Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Raise your hand. Have you heard that? I heard it a lot when I was a kid. And those are very wise words. Those are good words. Those are true words. The words that people use against us to belittle us or embarrass us or condemn us, to say things about us that are not true, those words have no power over us. And this morning I want us to think together about why, as Christians, that is particularly true. There are two different ways, I think, that it might be true. Two different competing and perhaps irreconcilable theories for why it might be the case that words can truly never hurt us. One reason that I think many people might give these days is what I would call the impervious self theory. They'd say that the reason words can't hurt me is because, in the end, words have no power. No power over me. Physical pain and injury is real. Sticks and stones can break our bones. But words, they don't, they don't matter. They're not real, in a sense. No words or ideas that are external to me can define me or have power over me. Nobody can tell me who I am or how I should feel, or what's important, or what's true, I decide. I'm the captain of my ship. I'm living by my truth, and I don't care what other people say. In this way of looking at things, the the reason that the sticks and stones rhyme is true is because ultimately words have no power compared to the greatest power in the world, the power of the human will. I define myself, so, so words can never define me. That's, that's the idea. But there's another way, I would say a better way, guided by God's word, to look at this sticks and stones saying and to understand why it truly is that words can never hurt us. Let's call it the porous self theory. What if the person who says sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me is actually acknowledging that words can have a great deal of power over us. Far more power, in fact, than sticks and stones. We all know this to be true on some level, right? We, we see that words start wars and end wars. Words begin relationships, end relationships, whether it's in the grand theater of of politics and government or in our closest personal relationships, we see the creative and the destructive power of words, 
As the proverb tells us, a soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We know that the right words can bring great happiness and great peace, and the wrong words can bring terrible destruction. We feel this power of words in in two different ways, at least two different ways. First, as the speaker of words, we desperately want to say the right words, especially in big moments, key moments in life, birth, death, marriage, uh, times when we, we feel this we feel this notion within us that, that words are needed. Something good and true needs to be said, and we try to bring it out of ourselves, and oftentimes we, we feel like we come up short. Parents, I think, feel this acutely when our children are in desperate need of a good word. And sometimes we, we always try to give it to them, and sometimes we feel like we don't quite have the word within ourselves that, that our children need. And I think the best words that we can give our children when they're in need of a good word don't come from our own eloquence. They come from God's word in the Bible. They come from the creeds and the hymns of our faith. Another way that we feel the power of words is as the listener, the receiver of the words. We feel the impact of other people's words on us. And we hear people say all the time, you know, I don't care what other people say. It's a very common way to start a conversation or, or, or perhaps make a little bit of a boast about, about yourself, but yes, you do. I do. We all do, to one degree or another, especially the people who we love and the people who we admire. We care deeply about their words, and their words have a big impact on us. So if we acknowledge this reality, the, the great power of words then how could it be true that words which are so powerful can never hurt us? What I want to suggest this morning is, from a Christian perspective, the point of the saying about sticks and stones maybe isn't that words don't matter. Instead, maybe it's that even though words are far more powerful than sticks and stones, your words can't hurt me as a Christian, because I am in possession of another word. I am defined by a word far greater and stronger and truer than any words that can be used against me. I have the word of which the first chapter of John speaks. As Christians, I think we should be very skeptical of any claim along the lines of words don't matter or words have no power over us because, they, because we define for ourselves who we are. The Bible makes it very clear, if our own experience of life doesn't make it clear enough for us, that words have enormous power over us. And the only question really is which words, whose words, are going to have power over us. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, which Daniel has preached about several times Uh, which tells us that God's word is just as necessary to our life as the very bread that we eat. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And another thing that we see in Deuteronomy that we've talked about before is that those who do not live by the words from the mouth of God will live by words from some other source. If we do not get our sustenance, our life, from God's word, we still need the sustenance. And we'll get it from somewhere. So Deuteronomy 8, chapters, uh, chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power. And if you forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Notice there that there isn't a middle ground for the Israelites between obeying the voice of the Lord your God and following after other gods. If you forget the Lord your God, you're necessarily going after other gods. There's no middle ground for the Israelites where they could say, I'm not going to follow God. Uh, I'm not going to follow idols either. I'm just going to follow my own way. I'm going to set my own course. And I'm not going to follow anybody or anything. No, like the Israelites, we're always following something. Listening to somebody's voice, obeying somebody's word. If you think about it, the very idea that I define myself, that I can decide what's true for me, that I don't have to follow anybody, that's an idea that came from somebody else. Some philosopher in the 18th or 19th century came up with that idea, and you're following that. We can't escape that as rational beings created by a God who describes himself as the Word, we are ruled by words, by ideas about how to behave, about what to believe, about what is good and true and beautiful. And like the Israelites, we can be ruled by God's word, or we can be ruled by another word that is not God's, and there's no middle ground. As we talked about last week with Jonathan, words have particular power in the realm of government and politics, and we're very blessed to live in a time and a country, as we've just celebrated July 4th, where the, the power of words expressed through laws is greater than the power of the sword. Those are really the only alternatives we have in human government. We will be ruled by laws, by ideas, by words, or we will be ruled by the sword, whoever has the greatest power. And as Jonathan reminded us last week, in the midst of the very, very contentious and ugly political conversation that we have in our country these days, there's great power in words that are spoken not out of a desire to, to control others or to win an argument, but spoken out of love. On a far grander scale, though, than, than human political affairs, never has the power of a word been clearer than in the passage from Genesis 1 that we heard Hazel read for us. Let's look at Genesis 1 and John 1 together. There's a beautiful symmetry between Genesis, 1, chap- Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and John 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
That's Genesis. And in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John. So the first thing we learn in John 1 is that Jesus is a timeless, eternal part of the Trinity who was with God and was God, even before God created the world. But look down a couple of verses, and there's another beautiful and mysterious symmetry between Genesis 1, verse 3, and John 1, verse 3. In the third verses, both of these books tell us something about how God created the world. John 1, verse 3 says, All things were made through him, that is Jesus, the Word. And without him was not anything made that was made. That idea from John 1, 3, that Jesus is the Word through whom all things were made, can give us a deeper perspective on, I think, what Genesis says in Genesis 1, 3, which says this, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Do you hear that? Genesis tells us that God spoke the world, the world, the whole world into existence. And John tells us that everything that was made was made through the Word, which is Jesus. So in some mysterious way that theologians have been contemplating and arguing about for thousands of years and that we can barely dip our toe into this morning, in some mysterious and beautiful way, God spoke the, wor- the world, God spoke the world into being, and the word that he spoke was Jesus. I think part of the challenge of understanding what it means for Jesus to be the word comes from the Greek word that was used by the Apostle John here and translated in our Bibles as word. That word is logos. And I don't know any Greek, so I I can't get very deep into this, but from what I have read, the Greek word logos doesn't always translate perfectly into our English word, word. In some cases, it can translate neatly into word, but logos is a rich and complex word that could probably be translated into English in several different ways, depending on the context. And as an aside, on the topic of of words that can have several different connotations, seemingly simple words, I'm reminded of a quote from G.K. Chesterton, my favorite author, about the, the many meanings of the word good. And he said, If I should see a man shoot his grandmother from 500 yards, I should say he was a good shot, but not necessarily a good man. I, I, this is totally off topic, but I, just, I love that quote, and I can't, go, I can't get up in front of you without recommending G.K. Chesterton to, to you. When I uh, am asked to recommend a book, I always recommend The Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton. Another word that, that has many meanings that can be lost in translation is, is love. You know, we have one word in English for love, and in Greek there were six or seven different words for love that expressed different ideas, different, different capacities 
in which we love, different ways in which we love, and, and we're a bit impoverished in our English language, in our ability to capture all of that meaning because we just have that one word, love. But back on the topic of, of logos, which has the opposite problem, one Greek word that might have many different English translations, the connotation that the word logos would have had for most readers in the first century uh, was its use in Greek philosophy. The Greeks used the logos to mean not just the word, but also something like the answer or the reason. One source that I found defines the concept of the logos in ancient Greek philosophy as the divine reason that permeates all reality. The Greeks believed that there was a rationality, a purpose, a natural order underlying creation, which we can discover and understand, and that the purpose of philosophy was to discover and understand the logos. And so when John uses the word logos to describe Jesus, he isn't just sort of cryptically referring to Jesus as, as a word, as a, as a, you know, a accumulation of letters that has some meaning the way we would think of the word word uh, he's, he's calling Jesus the logos the word with the emphasis on the the word the reason, the answer the deepest explanation for everything that is the unifying force underlying all of creation for which the philosophers had been searching for all those years that's who John says Jesus is. Now let's go back to Genesis 1. Because there's no greater evidence of the power and primacy of words in our world than what Genesis tells us about God speaking the world into existence. Remember, God spoke creation into existence with a word, beginning with let there be light. And then he speaks the rest of creation into being the waters, the heavens, the dry land, the plants and the trees, and all the animals. And then the culmination of his creation, Genesis, 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God speaks man and woman into existence. And what does he say? This was interesting as I was studying these verses. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is he talking to? Is it the royal we? Is it like Queen Elizabeth saying, let us invite Evan Young to tea? I don't, I don't know whether that's how God is using, uh, that's why the, how the writer of Genesis is using us in that, in that instance, but I doubt it. Daniel is a scholar of Hebrew and can perhaps answer this question for us better than I could, but it seems to me that in light of what John 1 tells us about the Word, about Jesus being with the Father before the creation and playing a central role in the creation, in light of that, then perhaps Genesis 1.26 is the first glimpse that the Bible gives us of the Trinity. Perhaps it's God turning to Jesus and saying, let us make man in our image, turning to the one by whom and through whom and for whom this is all being created and saying, let us make man in our image. Let us make a very special kind of creature that bears our image 
and that will exercise dominion over our creation. And he did. And there begins the story, the great story, of our salvation. The salvation of that creation. Which was the, and the need for salvation starts at almost the very moment of creation. Shortly after creation. With the fall into sin of we humans who were, who were created in God's image. And it's a fall in which the power of words to destroy is on full display. Satan comes as a serpent. And even though God has given Adam and Eve his word, a very clear, very generous rule, you shall eat of all the trees in the garden, but not this one. He has given them his word, but Satan is able, with cunning words of his own, to sow doubt in their minds about God's word. And to cause Adam and Eve to think that instead of trusting God's word, they can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they will be able to trust their own wisdom, rely on their own words, and not on God's. And they did. And they rebelled against God. And that spirit of rebellion is in all of us now. And we feel it. If we are honest with ourselves, we, we must admit that we feel that spirit of rebellion against God within us each and every day, sometimes very strongly. I know I feel it myself. But praise the Lord, that's not the end of the story. God's word is far more powerful than the devil's. God's word is far more powerful than our rebellion. And it's far more powerful than all the lies that this world would tell us. God's word is far more powerful than the many sweet-sounding words of this world that want to compete in our hearts and our minds for the place of honor that should be reserved only for God's word. And what did God do with the power of his word? After our rebellion brought sin and darkness into the world, God again, just as he had in the very beginning, made light out of the darkness. And just as in the beginning, he did it with a word. But this time, it wasn't his voice. It wasn't just let there be light. It was the word made flesh who came to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. This time it was Jesus, the one true word, the Logos, the deepest answer to all our longings. It was Jesus who brought the light of resurrection and of eternal life out of the darkness of sin and the cross. Jesus' light shines in the darkness, as John tells us, and some of the greatest words in the Bible, the darkness has not overcome it. And as John tells us, to all who receive him, that is Jesus, to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not because we deserved it. Not at all because we deserved it. The wages of our sin is death. Not eternal life. 
So not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So kids, listen up again as we close. When you say sticks and stones, that's okay. When you say sticks and stones and church pews can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. What, what does that really mean for you as a Christian? And maybe, maybe it can mean this. Even though you're like any other person who can be hurt physically by sticks and stones, you, each of you as a Christian, has a very special power. You are immune to the great harm that the hurtful words of this world can inflict. And that's not because words don't matter. It's not because words can't define you. No, words do matter. Words do define you. In fact, words are perhaps the most powerful weapon in the universe. But the words of the mean kid, the words of the devil, the many lies that this world will tell you about who you are, those words cannot hurt you because you are defined by another word, a word far greater and stronger than any word spoken by man. It is the mightiest word, the truest word, the word that was with God before all things, the word through which all things were made. It is the name of Jesus. That is your word. You are made in his image. He is in your heart. And you are who he says you are, not who anybody else says you are. You, each of you, everybody here, not just the kids, you are God's precious treasure. He gave up his throne in heaven to rescue you from sin and death, even at the price of his own life, because he loved you so much. As a Christian, you have the word, the answer, the logos, the word above all words. And that is the reason why the words of this world truly can never hurt you. Amen. Isaiah 40 verse 8 tells us, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever.